Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tom Kang. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. I can see how it might be fun taking city slickers, but how do they, how do they, I mean, do they enjoy it? What's their reason for doing this? Oh, they fit into the equation real well. Yeah. You know, it really, you really need some bait. And yeah. Jackson and I have been, have been the bait for a long time. Yeah. But yeah. one thing we figured mm-hmm. out is that city slickers make dang good bait. Really? <laughs> yes, they do. Wow, okay. Tim and Tom are not kind of city slickers. They are the meaning of city slicker. You guys got the belt buckles. What's up, man? <laughs> I want to go to church in New Jersey. Good times. Hey, folks, I'm Pastor Tom, and I want to welcome you and everyone watching online to Liquid Church and this final installment of what's been a truly fun reality sermon series, Big Fish, a series where we've been taking an in-depth look at the life of Jonah, our fishy runaway prophet friend. And you know, last week was absolutely amazing. It was so powerful as many of you came up for prayer. There were prayers of repentance and prayers of acceptance. Uh, Folks saying no to a life of sin and death and people saying yes to Jesus Christ, yes to life through their Savior. And that was exactly, if you think about it, how chapter 3 of the book of Jonah ended. If you recall, if you look with me at Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, it said this, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had, what's the word there? compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Now, guys, think about this. This is absolutely awesome, isn't it? I mean, a people far from God actually heard the word of God, and so they came towards God. They left their life of sin, all their evil ways. In fact, if you think about it this way, Jonah preached one of the sweetest shortest, most successful sermons ever. It was only eight words. I know, I know, some of you are thinking, why can't you do the same? But it was only eight words, right? 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. And before anybody could say amen, Every single person from the, from the, you know, the, the, the homeless pauper to the king of Nineveh himself all turned to God. And this is why scripture reads, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. <laughs> that is awesome. Amen? I mean, you want to talk about spiritual revival? An entire, think about this now, an entire city coming to God in only eight words. Guys, if, if you were that prophet and you gave that message, let's be honest, you are feeling pretty good about yourself. You're doing one of these right here, right? I mean, let's just be honest, right? I mean, if that sort of thing happened today, Let's just pretend like some preacher, some speaker walked into New York City, 
started preaching in Madison Square Garden, dropped eight words, and the entire city, all of Manhattan, Mayor Bloomberg, everybody accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The next morning, that speaker would be on Live with Kelly, right? They'd be schmoozing on The View, right? Uh, That speaker would make the cover of every single newspaper and magazine, every periodical out there. And on night, he'd be kicking it back with Leno and Fallon and all those guys. And you thought Tebow mania was huge? No way. Christians all across the world would be just, they'd be ecstatic. And and the non-believing world, they wouldn't know what to make of things. But Jonah's reaction? (laughs) How did Jonah respond? to God's incredible compassion and mercy in the citywide revival, the citywide conversion, the next verse says it all. Uh, Turn with me in your Bibles to Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. It's found on page 644 in your scriptures. And we're going to ask ourselves, how did Jonah respond to God's compassion? We're going to actually read this together. This is absolutely incredible. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Let's see. But Jonah was greatly overjoyed. No? But Jonah saw everyone come to God, and he was so incredibly thankful. Yes, Lord. No. Actually, what's it say there? But Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became, what? Displeased and angry? What's going on here? The passage continues, verse 2, he prayed to the Lord. Now, this is hilarious. Just think about this now. Think about this. Jonah prays to the Lord. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. <laughs> what? I mean, it is, it's actually kind of hard to make light of what exactly is happening. Why is Jonah throwing this hissy fit over a spiritual revival? I mean, what is this guy's problem? But, before we start picking up any stones here, let's remember that for Jonah, Jonah, these Ninevites were mortal enemies. They were savage national enemies. In fact, for Jonah's people, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, the Ninevites were the single largest threat to their lives. And so this is why Jonah is, is thinking and he's saying, oh, God, I can't believe, I knew it. I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were merciful. Why did I even come here? I knew that you would save these people. Now, admittedly, this is a little bit difficult for us to understand, uh, for us to understand in our modern Western minds, right? So, so I, I want to help you grasp this by putting it this way. How would you feel? If former assistant football coach for Penn State and convicted serial child molester Jerry Sandusky went on CNN today and said, yeah, I am so sorry. What I did was absolutely wrong. I am asking for God's mercy. Or what if the Dark Knight gunman, James Holmes, came out in an interview and said, you know what, I have seen the light. 
I have accepted Christ into my heart. I am a changed man. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm guessing now that if that happened, there would be people all throughout the U.S., throughout the world, in this very room even, who'd be just a little bit disappointed, maybe even outraged. Like, whoa, 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 time out. You don't get to do what you just did. And then just, just like pray a prayer or ask for forgiveness and, and get off scot-free. No, no, no. We want consequences. There must be punishment. Welcome to the world of Jonah. See, in fact, he gets so worked up, so angry and outraged, he says in verse 3, Now, O Lord, take away my life. For it is better for me to die than to live. Have you ever been this hot and bothered where all you can see and all you can feel is red? Well, I want you to notice what God says next. Notice his response, verse 4. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? In other words, God's saying, Jonah, okay. You're absolutely correct. I am the God who's full of compassion, the God of love, the God of mercy, the God who relents. I am the God who actually offers a second, third, fourth, 789th chance. And Jonah, guess what? That's great news because that's the very thing I just did for you. See, Jonah's got what we call in, in, in theological Greek and Hebrew terms, um, short-term memory loss, okay? In other words, God's like, you just experienced my mercy. <laughs> you just experienced my compassion. Uh, like, Jonah, remember when I said go and you said no? <laughs> remember when you were taking a little dip in the pool, <laughs> And I, and I sent this fish to spare your life. You were actually the recipient of tremendous grace and mercy. So now how is it that you can expect me? How is it that you can say to me that I shouldn't give to others what I so freely gave to you? You, of all people, have no right to be angry with me. And then you know what? The darndest thing happens next. It's so interesting. Check out the next verse. Verse 5 says, Jonah went out, and what did he do? Sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen next. And I just love this. I love this because it's so stinking human. Do, do, you, do you understand what's happening here? Basically, Jonah picks up his ball and goes home. <laughs> That's actually what happens. I picture this now. Jonah is in the middle of this conversation with God, and he gets so frustrated, he hangs up. He gets so frustrated, he walks out of the room and slams the door. He basically storms off to pout and see what happens next. I'm preaching to somebody here, okay? Guys, do you know what happens when you harbor bitterness when you actually take pleasure in other people's pain, you become a disgrace, literally the opposite 
of grace. You harbor unforgiveness and literally the grace of God in your life, the forgiveness and his mercy that he's generously given you, it actually turns sour. And before you know it, it is all but forgotten. Jonah's bitter, angry, and unforgiveness towards these people is making him blind. It is literally blinding him. Question. Does anyone here, anyone watching online, do you identify with this kind of bitterness? Do you have someone in your life who you, you just not, you just, you just can't seem to forgive? I want you to think of that person. Everyone got that? And right now I want you to point to that person. No, just don't, don't point. Don't, don't, don't point, please. Had someone in the last service that just, okay, all right. But you know what? Jonah, he wasn't messing around. He was in no mood to forgive. And sometimes we actually like to hold on to unforgiveness, right? Because it's, it's sort of comfortable. It, 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 you can sort of get used to it. And if you do it long enough, you turn into this person who spends your life waiting and hoping for misfortune to befall the person who's actually hurt us. And that, that is actually sad. That's a sad, disgraceful picture. A hardening of the heart occurs, and we become, we become sort of less human, less than what God has created us to be, which is why grace again. God comes with grace. He reaches out to Jonah with kindness, with grace. Check out verse 6 here. It says, then the Lord God, what's the word? Provided. Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord who provides, that's his name. The Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And then, this is so interesting, and then Jonah was very happy. He was very happy about the vine, okay? See, suddenly, <laughs> suddenly Jonah's not so angry. Suddenly things aren't that bad. Suddenly he's very happy about a vine. See, things are comfortable for him now. One minute, think about this, he's so angry that he can die. The next minute, he's very happy about this vine that's probably protecting a bald spot on his head, okay? This, of course, lasts until the very next verse. Verse 7, but at dawn the next day, God, what's the word there again? Provided. God provided something else. What did he provide? Provided a worm. Hmm. A worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. Verse 8, when the sun rose, God, what's the word? Provided a scorching east wind. Okay. And the sun blazed on Jonah's bald little head so that he grew faint. And then here he goes again. He wanted to die. <laughs> and he says, it would be better for me to die than to live. Now, did you notice three times throughout scriptures in verses 6 through 8, three times it says, God provided. God provided a vine. Awesome. God provided a worm. What? God providing a scorching east wind. Oh, come on. In other words... God intentionally brought some things into Jonah's life in order to teach him, in order to teach him certain lessons. God gave and God took away. Does anyone feel a response song coming? God gave and God took 
away. See, God provides a vine, and sure enough, let's just be honest, we all love it when God provides a vine, when he provides something good for our comfort and for our relief. We love it when he blesses us, provides us with things that, that make us happy and more comfortable, right? Uh, uh, and most of, us, most of us here, we can identify with that. We, we have these blessings. For me, I am so thankful. I'm so happy that God's provided me an amazing family. It's just incredible friends in my life. I'm thankful to God for my health. I'm thankful that I have a job that I love. And maybe, maybe there are many of you in here that can identify. You are in this like season where God is giving, 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 and all these blessings, and you are just so grateful. We all love the God of the vine. Oh, it is so easy to worship then. It is so easy to praise God when he just keeps giving us all these vines. But not many of us care too much for the God of the worm. <laughs> God of the wind? Nah, no nah, thanks. And don't get me wrong, God gives. God gives and gives and gives, but sometimes he takes away. And that, that is a truth that is hard for us to accept sometimes. In fact, it's one of the most difficult realities of being in a living relationship with a living God who is not solely concerned about your comforts, but who is also concerned about your character as well. And so we see here that God sometimes sends us a wind. God sometimes sends us a worm into our lives deliberately not to punish us, but to change us, to teach us, to transform us. I need you to think of it this way. God often sends us a wind or a worm as a perspective corrective. A perspective corrective. Something that catches my attention and turns it away from myself and my creature comforts onto things that really matter. It's, it's that moment when God, again, in his grace, in his grace, because he loves us and because he's good, it's that moment when that God deliberately sends a storm or a worm or a wind into our lives to actually deliberately cause us some temporary discomfort. Maybe, maybe your career hits a bump in the road. Maybe your marriage starts to stall out. Maybe you get a distressing medical report. Maybe your kids are driving you into the deep. Where do you turn? To whom do you go? You know what? Scripture's clear. You need to go to the God of the vine, who is also the God of the worm. Amen? You need to go to the God of the vine, who is also the God of the worm. And that is not always easy to hear. But you know something, guys? This here is big boy church. This is big boy church. Okay? And in big boy church, 
If you really want to know God, great news, you totally can. But in big boy church, you must get to know him on his terms. You don't get to just accept this one part of God, the God of the vine. Yes, praise the Lord. And ignore the God of the worm, storm, and wind. Amen? Meaning, if you accept the God of the vine, you must also accept, plainly speaking, the God of the worm because he is the same God. And listen to me now. He's a God who is the perfect heavenly father who not only loves us but who also corrects us he not only is gracious and merciful to us but he also wants to transform us he loves us enough not just to care about our comfort but our character as well and it's with that in mind that god asks jonah in verse 9 do you have a right to be angry about the vine i do <laughs> he said I am angry enough to die. I mean, you want to talk about a guy who needs a perspective corrective? This guy is suicidal about a houseplant. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But you know what? We all get like that. We are all like that. Verse 10, but the Lord said, you have been concerned. I need you to click your pens and just circle that word there, concerned. Circle that word concerned in verse 10. Because here is where it's about to get extremely practical for us, all right? You have been, the magic word there is concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. In other words, you know what, Jonah? Here's this very temporary thing that's got you all bent out of shape. Why? Because you're so attached to this little thing in your life that's insignificant and temporary. You didn't have anything to do with it, okay? But Nineveh, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left. In other words, these Ninevites, they're clueless, Jonah. They're clueless. And you know what? They're my children. They're my kids. And they can hardly tell right from wrong, right from left. And so one of the reasons, if I have to divulge everything to you, is this. One of the reasons I'm relenting and giving them another chance is because they don't even know that how they're living is living wrong. They don't know any better. So you know something, Jonah? Tom? Todd? Jackie? Alex? Susan? You know something? There are people all around you who are clueless and perishing as well. You need to know that. And yet you're in this tizzy about your own little comfort, your own little houseplant. Whether that houseplant is finances, whether it's your schedule, whether it's your own creature comforts. Meanwhile, people around you are perishing and they don't know any better. And notice how this incredible book ends. God, God sort of takes Jonah by his shirt, draws him in here, and asks him this piercing question. It's actually the very last sentence of the entire book. It says this, should I not be, there's our magic word again, concerned about that great city? 
In other words, God's saying, Jonah, you are so concerned about all the wrong things. You're concerned that these Ninevites get what they deserve or what you think they deserve. You're concerned that, that, that you get what you deserve. You're concerned that they get judgment. You're concerned that you get comfort. And you're concerned that, that everybody gets what they deserve. But hey, Jonah, 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 guess what I'm concerned about? I'm concerned that nobody gets what they deserve at all. Does that make sense? I'm concerned about extending my love and mercy so that nobody gets what they deserve. And you know something, Jonah? I've actually invited you into that process. I've, I've actually invited you to partner with me in that, in that mission. But you are so stinking concerned. You are so stinking consumed with how to avoid a wounded life that you are actually wasting your life. That's what you're concerned about. And Jonah, that is tragic. In fact, I love the way author and pastor John Piper puts it. And, and, and let me just say this before I share with you this little quote. Um, this is a little bit convicting, okay? Uh, talk about big boy church. Uh, some of you are not going to want to hear this, so you might want to go like this because it's, it's going to stir up some holy discontent in your heart. It may actually convict you. I'm sorry, okay? But in his book entitled, Don't Waste Your Life, how's that for subtlety? In his book entitled, Don't Waste Your Life, Piper wrote the following. I will tell you what tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Uh, consider this story from the Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida. I don't know where that is. Sounds nice. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells. Picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shells? That is a tragedy. He continues, God created us to live with a single passion, to joyfully display his supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. The wasted life is the life without this passion. God calls us to pray and think and dream and plan and work, not to be made much of, but to make much of him in every part of our lives. And he concludes, yet most people slip by in life without a passion for God spending their lives on trivial diversions, living for comfort and pleasure, and perhaps trying to avoid sin. <laughs> Do not get caught up in a life that counts for nothing. If you believe that to live is Christ and to die is gain, don't waste your life. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. But that doesn't exactly make it easy for the Jonah inside of me to 
to accept that. You know what I'm saying? Because right here is where it starts to get very personal. See, you need to know, all right, in a general way, I am concerned with people and their relationships with God. I mean, I'm a pastor for crying out loud, okay? I've been a Christian for about 20 years. I am concerned that people come to Christ. In a general sort of broad fashion, okay, I am concerned about people and their relationship with God. But honestly, honestly now, in the details of my everyday life, in the details of the moment, there's more Jonah inside of me than I care to admit. I mean, honestly, in the, in the details of life, throughout the normal week, uh, with, you know, the progression of the week, I can be way more concerned about whether or not I get a good haircut than I am about the person who's cutting my hair. You know what I'm saying? Like last week, for example, okay, I got one of those Supercuts coupons in the mail. You know what I'm talking about? All right? You know what I'm talking about, okay? And I just got so excited. I'm like, yes, I can, Erica, I can finally get my haircut. I got the coupon, okay? I know, some of you think I'm cheap. I'm actually frugal. That's a different story. But anyways, so I go inside Supercuts, and I don't know what it is with Supercuts, but I've been, I, I've been going to Supercuts all my life, and I have never not once seen the same barber at the same Supercuts ever. I don't know what that is. But anyways, I got to move on here, Okay. I go in, and this nice, sweet lady, Carly, okay, she greets me, and she, she's, like, looking a little bit nervous, like, maybe this is, like, her first week, you know, she's kind of nervous, got the jitters and stuff, I'm thinking, I'm the one that should be nervous, all right, but anyways, all right, I've got my coupon, so I'm going, and, um, so I sit down. I know the whole routine, right? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? You sit down. She puts the thing on top of you. And, and there's like this obligatory small talk that has to happen, right? Like, oh, you know, how's the weather? Can't believe summer's almost ending. Hey, do you have any kids? All this stuff. But guys, I'm just like, I'm just being honest with you. I am so not in the mood, okay? I just want to use my coupon. I just need my haircut, okay? That was my attitude. So I'm just like sitting in this chair. And she's like trying to make the small talk. And I'm just, listen, Carly, sweetie. Hey, listen, I just need a basic East Coast fade, okay? I need you to start with a one and a half, one right here, one and a half, two, up to two and a half, three, right here. You got, you got what I'm saying here? And she's like, um, yeah, but uh, so, uh, so tell me how, it, and I'm just like, no, 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 sweetie, no, no, listen, listen. Do you have thinning shears? Because I know, like, not, not everyone has, so I need you to borrow one of your friend's thinning shears. You have to go into that cubicle, get the thinning shears. I, my hair is really dense, okay? So I, I need you to take off some volume here and some volume here, and just, just thin it out. And she's like, uh, okay, uh, uh, Mr. Tom, it's, uh, listen, listen, sweetie, and listen, I need you to trim. Don't cut. I need you to, I spike my hair really long, so just trim a quarter of an inch over here. She's like, um, okay, and so, and then, and I'm, listen, uh, darling, listen, and I need you, I need a square back. I don't like round. I need you a square back right in the back over here, and please, for the love of God, don't touch the sideburns. I'll do that myself. You got it, sweetie? And she just looks at me like, she was about to cry. And I, I know I'm a bad person. <laughs> and, and she didn't say this, but I could tell that she was thinking, oh, my gosh. She's like, every customer like this? And, and guys, I can get more passionate about a $9 haircut than about a person who's going to live somewhere somewhere 
forever. And so, yeah, I'm a little bit like Jonah, getting all worked up about all the wrong things that don't matter an ounce in the light of eternity. I mean, so what? So what if, if I get a bad haircut? It'll grow back. That's more than some of you can say. So what if she totally botches it up? I will get a coupon next month. It doesn't matter. I get so worked up about the tiniest little things when the eternal things get passed over. How about you? How about you? I mean, do you get more concerned about the manicure than about the manicurist? Do you get all worked up uh, about, about the landscaping of your lawn than the team of guys who actually comes and cuts it? Maybe the service of your car than the guy who did the work. Maybe, maybe the quality of the food and, and the timing of it coming to your table than the person who's actually serving you the food, the person who was designed in the image of God serving you your food. Now, guys, I, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that you cannot expect excellent work. It's just that it doesn't have to come at the expense of mowing down your lawnscaper. Does that make sense? I'm talking about temporary stuff that really is just a matter of our comfort, absorbing all of our time, all of our passions, all of our attention, all while we forget about the person involved who's been created by God, made in his image, and is designed to live somewhere forever. It's like God was saying, Jonah, hey, Tom, hey, Mike, hey, Cindy, I know that you have a general concern for people. But on early Tuesday morning, in the late afternoon of a Wednesday, on Thursday evening, will you allow momentary, secondary, tertiary concerns to take over the first place things of my heart? See, Jonah was concerned with all the wrong stuff, inconsequential things, here today, gone tomorrow just like me and the way I treated Carly at Supercuts. And the last gift that the book of Jonah offers me, offers you, is the lesson that I do not, I had better not spend all of my first fruits, all of my energy, my emotion, my passions, my gift, my time on stuff that does not matter an hour, a week, a month from now to the neglect of people who are going to spend somewhere forever and ever. So guys, here's what I want us to do. Each of you, hopefully, should have received a little gift as you walked into the service this morning. Okay? little flower, different shapes and sizes, different colors. That's okay, guys. Don't be too manly. Just... Just go with me here, okay? Now, let me share with you why we're giving you this little gift, okay? I want to ask you a question. It's a hard question. Some of you may need some time to answer this. Some of you will know right away. But if you're like me, there's something, there's a thing in your life 
that sort of creeps up between your concerns and the concerns of God. There's something that sort of creeps up between those two things. I'm going to ask you to identify what is that one thing that creeps up between your concerns and God's concerns. What is that one thing for you? For some of you, it's unforgiveness. Unforgiveness just sort of creeps up and you just... It, God has a certain heart for a person and you've got a certain heart for a person. And this unforgiveness creeps in and you just, you, you just, you just don't see eye to eye with God. For others of you, maybe it's your reputation. You know, will my coworker think I'm weird if I start talking about Jesus, if I invite him to church, right? Uh, for some of you, the thing that creeps up between your concerns and God's concerns is actually your schedule. I mean, I identify with that. I'm like you. I mean, man, I mean, the alarm clock rings and you're already two steps behind. And, and your schedule, you feel like, creeps up. That's what happened between me and Carly. I was just so pressed for time. I wanted to get things done, yada, yada, yada. What is that for you? What's your one thing that is the most significant obstacle between you and the things that God is actually concerned about? What does your flower represent? See, because for Jonah, this flower was actually a vine, right? It was actually a good thing. Provided comfort, provided shade, momentary relief. In fact, many of the things that you ascribe to this flower are actually good things, but they're nowhere close to the main thing. So guys, what is it for you? Go ahead. I want everyone to lift this up. Lift up your flower, okay? Look around. Look at all these flowers. I wonder what all these flowers represent. What is it that you're so concerned about that it actually gets in the way between you and the things that your heavenly father is most concerned about? You can put it down now, okay? See, God is concerned about the, this generation of people. He's concerned about the next generation. He's concerned about teenagers. He's concerned about your kids. He's concerned about those babies in the back over there. He's concerned about your neighbor. He's concerned about your coworker in the cubicle next to you. He's concerned about the Carlies in your life and mine. So here's what I want you to do. As we leave here in a few minutes... This is what I'm going to ask. This week, I want you to take this flower. This is yours to keep, okay? I want you this week to take this flower with you, and I need you to put it somewhere where you are constantly going to see it. It's okay if you take off the stem. That's okay. But maybe your dashboard, maybe tape it to your bathroom mirror, maybe put it in your cubicle, wherever it is. I need you to put this somewhere where you will constantly see it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to watch this flower wither. I want you to watch this flower shrivel and dry and turn brown and ugly and decay. Because you know something? That's exactly what happened to Jonah. Jonah was so concerned about this flower, about this vine, right, to, to the actual neglect of people. He was so concerned about the thing that brought him so much great comfort, actually nursed his neglect for the people that God had a great concern for. The vine was inconsequential. It was temporary. It was fading. It is here today, and it is gone tomorrow, overnight even. But the Ninevites... Every single one of them 
would spend somewhere forever. Same for me. Same for you. Same for every single person you come into contact with. And God wants to know, are you willing to share my concern? To let go of this thing that creeps up between your concerns and mine. Are you willing to let that go and share God's heart for them all? Guys, can you name what this flower represents in your life? See, because folks, here's the deal. We've had an amazing summer. It's been an awesome summer, but we're going to have a killer fall. And it all actually starts next week when Pastor Tim preaches. He opens up this brand new series called Poll. And I mean, everyone is talking about the upcoming presidential election. You can't turn on the TV. You can't go on Facebook without hearing someone's opinion, right? And so we've made it super easy. We've made it super, super easy for you to invite your friends this fall. Invite your coworkers, invite your family members, to invite every single Carly in your life. In fact, here's the challenge I want to give to you. Everyone take out one of these cards here. You've got three of them, I think, right? And you've got a flower, okay? Here's my challenge to you. Would you be able, would you be willing to give away these three invites to the Carlies of your life before this flower totally fades. That's my challenge to you. Would you be willing right now? You, I know you can name three people in your mind, in your heart right now that God is concerned for. Would you be willing to hand out these three invites before this flower fades? For some of you, that's going to be so easy. You're going to need more cards. For others of you, that might be a little bit more of a challenge. But the challenge is the same. Would you be willing to give out this before this completely dies. In other words, guys, don't be like Jonah, fixated on this withering vine while thousands and thousands have yet to know about God. Instead, as you watch this flower fade throughout the week, say, God, God, I want to let this go. I want to hold loosely to my unforgiveness to, to, my, to my schedule and always being pressed for time, to my reputation, to my job, to my fear, whatever's preventing me from sharing your concern with the people around me, whatever's preventing me, whatever's, whatever's causing me to waste my life, I want to let that go. And I want to see eye to eye with your own heart and the people around me. Guys, let's just let it go. And invite someone to take their next step towards God. Let's learn from the lesson of Jonah. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you are the God of the vine and you are the God of the wind. And Lord, it's so easy. I just confess right now, it's so easy for me to worship the God of the vine. It's so easy for me to worship you. When, when my health is, is good and I'm strong, when, when my relationships are, are healthy, when, when I'm doing well with Erica and the girls and, 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 and my friends and my family, God, it's so awesome to worship you then. But Lord, 
you're not schizophrenic. I'm the one that has this schizophrenic faith. Because when the God of, of the wind shows up, I'm like, oh, I don't want any part of you, God. But Lord, help me to realize, help me to remember, help me to understand that you, the one that provided the vine, are also the one that provided the wind. And that your concerns are so much greater, so much bigger and better than my small concerns. I'm concerned about this vine, this thing that provides me with this temporary shade, this momentary relief. But you are concerned about the eternal souls of everyone created in your image. God, give me that kind of a hunger. Give me that kind of a passion. Help me to see people the way that you see. Forgive me, God, for the way that I was with Carly. God, give me the courage. This week I want to go back to Supercuts. I want to invite her. I want to give her this card, and maybe I should give her a flower too. God, help me, help me to do that. I'm going to do that, God. I, I say that before your people. I'm going to do that. It's going to totally weird her out, but I'm going to do that, God. I, I pray that you would go ahead of me. And I pray, Father, that for every Carly represented in every man, woman, and child's hands right now, that your spirit would go ahead of them as well. Give them the words to say. Give them the right heart and the right attitude. And just help us to be faithful. You will do the rest. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.